Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to the Counselor's Couch. I'm your host, Calvin Williams, licensed professional counselor. You know, I know it's been a little while, but things have gotten a little busy. I'm just kind of grateful to be back and to be back with you. So thanks for sticking around. Before we get started, let me remind you again, nothing provided in this podcast implies a therapeutic relationship between counselor and client. It is solely for education and entertainment. Counseling can help you overcome challenges, enhance your relationships, and develop skills to lead the life you want. If you're considering therapy, then please reach out to a trained, licensed professional in your community. If you are interested in seeking counseling in the Monroe, Louisiana area, or if you live anywhere in Louisiana and you are interested in participating in teletherapy with state-approved professionals, well then contact the providers at HealthPoint Center. Change starts here. Psychology and Counseling Services. HealthPoint is a collaboration of independent professionals, such as Williams Professional Counseling Services, who are dedicated to improving your quality of life and guiding you on a positive path toward change. That's HealthPoint Center, located at 1818 Avenue of America, Monroe, Louisiana. Call today to inquire about services, providers, or book an appointment at area code 318-998-2700. Well, it's that time again. So pull up a cushion, kick off your shoes, and grab a cup of coffee. Let's get started with the session. You know, I've always felt that this podcast was about embracing acceptance and learning to navigate the reality that we allow to define our life. This is about self-awareness, self-acceptance, and emotional empowerment. So today, let's talk about fear, or better describe the emotion of fear. For many people, fear tends to overwhelm us. It will drive behavior make decisions, avoid opportunities, and stir up self-doubt. It confuses, conflicts, and controls, but only when you give it authority in your life. To take back our control and live the life that we're truly seeking, we have to learn how to own our emotions like fear, or fear will own us. And fear doesn't always make the best decisions. So which would you prefer? To truly take back our power, we must start with understanding fear itself. You know, I love how Brene Brown puts it in Atlas of the Heart. She writes, both our fear and our anxiety need to be understood and respected, perhaps even befriended. We need to pull up a chair and sit with them, understanding why they're showing up and ask ourselves what there is to learn. Now, doesn't that just paint an incredible image? Sitting with your fear. You know, we rush so quickly to change any feeling of discomfort that we may be missing the true meaning or opportunity to grow that's actually being offered to us in that very moment. Now, I would like to clarify that fear is a natural human emotion. It doesn't make you weak or less than. Emotions are not character flaws or something to be avoided at all costs. Experiencing an emotion, well, just makes you a human being. I believe we're designed to be emotional for a reason. Emotions serve as a method of internal communication. They're a manner in which we access information about ourselves. Therefore, emotions are nothing more than structures of information. Of course, like information floating around on the internet, some of it's grounded in falsehoods, fears, and, well, misunderstandings. However, some of the information is important and requires an action. It's up to us to sort it all out, And the first step is to allow ourselves to experience the emotion. We must acknowledge it and express it in order to access the information. A life free of fear doesn't exist in the world which we reside. 
If fear didn't exist, well, it's possible we as a species wouldn't exist. Fear has been an important part of our development throughout history, especially when facing life and death situations. Fear itself often serves as a warning mechanism of pending danger or threat, which hopefully leads somebody to take evasive actions, therefore securing some sort of safe passage in life. According to the American Psychological Association, fear is defined as a basic automatic state of alarm, consisting of perception or conclusion of imminent threat or danger to an individual's safety or security. Well, this sounds like pretty important information that may require actions on my part. So basically, without fear, it's quite possible that we would walk foolishly into traffic on the interstate only to be run down by an oncoming car. Fear of a rabid dog running towards me will prompt my reaction to flee to safety or higher ground or a fenced yard. Fear can be extremely useful. However, the lives most of us lead today don't usually have the same high stakes of life and death that our ancestors faced when they were crossing the plains or seeking shelter from a saber-toothed tiger. A fear of failure, rejection, judgment, or embarrassment doesn't present the same dire outcomes. It's not life or death. However, we seem to treat it in the same manner. I mean, think about it. You ever heard somebody say, I'm just going to die of embarrassment, or it will kill me if we break up. Really? I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you this, but people don't die of embarrassment, and we don't die because a relationship ends. Believe it or not, these feelings are not really fears. They're better identified as, well, mental obstacles or even cognitive blocks that inhibit our ability to take action. These feelings of insecurity, self-doubt, unworthiness, and indecisiveness are often issues we explore in developing self-awareness, especially in therapy. These mental obstacles often lead to what we refer to as anxiety. However, it's believed by many researchers that fear is at the heart of all anxiety states, more specifically fear of these mental obstacles that are often grounded in our subconscious, developed by the experiences, well, of our early development. But why do we tend to make them into a life or death scenario? It still seems to be a little unclear. One theory suggests that there's some form of genetic predisposition that we may have to fear things that, well, were a threat to our ancestors. This theory may actually account for many of the phobias that people experience, such as a fear of snakes, spiders, heights, or other threats that can lead to death. However, other researchers have suggested that fear of certain things can be linked to an individual's trauma experiences. Although both of these theories appear to have some legitimacy, they cannot account for all of our fears. There really seems to be no specific pathway to account for our fears. In fact, it seems as though people follow many different paths towards fear. It may not matter how we get there. What I believe is most important is what do we do when we're there? In many situations, it becomes clear that our discomfort, such as anxiety, anger, or fear, can be associated with unmet expectations of a person or a situation. So let's say I have some really exciting news about my life. I'm overjoyed with new possibilities and opportunities, so naturally I want to share this news with a friend. This is a normal response in which I can believe that we can all relate. However, let's say this particular friend I want to share the news with tends to always see the negative in every situation. You probably know the type of friend I'm describing. You know the one that would complain about the high taxes and bank fees when they win the Mega Millions lottery jackpot? 
So in preparing to tell this friend my exciting news, I may experience some feelings of anxiety. I may find myself dreading the interaction, and I may even avoid talking to them altogether. Why? It's simple. The reality of the situation and my expectations are incongruent. I'm expecting a joyful response. After all, I want this friend to share in my happiness. Again, there's nothing wrong with the expectation itself. But when placed beside the reality of my friend's behavior, the outcome is unlikely in my favor. I'm expecting a joyful, shared response, thinking that today is the day my friend will decide to make a significant life change and reframe a lifetime of negativity. It's often subconscious. I'm thinking, despite a long trail of tears and negativity throughout our relational history, which is evidence of the reality, that my friend will do something different. Of course they will. That's what friends do. Really? How many times have you been in a similar situation and afterwards told yourself, I can't believe they acted that way? Really? You can't believe it. Despite a long history of evidence, despite a reality proven repeatedly, you can't believe it. Then keep listening because you need the rest of the story. Let us add to this scenario. You know, I've been working on my anxiety for years in therapy, and my counselor has been encouraging me to face my fears. So I gather my courage and embrace my moment to shine. I share my joyful news with my friend, never internally addressing my expectations or my reality. Look at me. I'm doing it. Way to confront those fears and follow through on my growth and development. I can't wait to share this with my counselor in the next session. Praise for my progress and growth. But wait a minute. My friend's reaction is still negative. Way to rain on my parade. Why couldn't you just cooperate and do what I wanted? Be excited for me. Be happy with me. I noticed something. My anxiety has vanished. It's gone. But now it's replaced with anger and resentment towards my friend. Friend? Ha! That's a laugh. If they were a friend, they would be excited for me. At least that's what we often tell ourselves. Because we have to tell ourselves this because it justifies the next all-too-common steps in this process. Strike back. Retaliation, baby. Then the hurtful words fly, weaving a tapestry of insults and judgment. We chop our friend down to size, but I feel justified by their actions. It's not my fault, or is it? Fault may not be the appropriate word in the scenario. I think responsibility is more suitable. It's my responsibility. How? They're the negative one, not me. Yeah, they're the negative one, and you knew that from the beginning. However, you still expected something different rather than accept the reality of this relationship. You chose to share your exciting news with this friend. You were aware of their tendency to look at things negatively. You have a history of similar events to support that conclusion. You chose to do it anyway. Why? You were expecting something different. You dismissed past evidence and you attacked your friend for it. But they're the bad guy. They're the negative one. Really? This can be an intense gut check for many of us. You know, there's no easy way to soften this blow. I mean, nobody wants to be the bad guy, and I don't really believe there is one. Nobody wants to look within at the scary, dark things that we may possess. Self-awareness is not for the faint of heart. It's also not meant to be some form of self-inflicted punishment designed to enhance our pre-existing shame-based inner dialogue. 
Self-awareness is actually a tool designed to gain insight with the purpose of growth and change. It's there to help us be the best human being that we can be as we navigate a world of uncertainty. Self-awareness serves to empower the individual, to place us in a position to make a difference. Can you change the friend in this scenario? No. This leaves most of us feeling powerless, frustrated, and afraid, out of control. To be honest, you were never in control of it in the first place. It was an illusion of control that deflects from reaching a true inner peace. The one thing you can change in this scenario is you. You are responsible for your expectations. You are responsible for your actions and your words. Unfortunately, when we focus on the actions of others and our lack of control over it, we miss the opportunity to make a difference in the one area that we can, ourselves. So what do you fear? As a believer, I often share with people that we were not given a spirit of fear. This is biblical. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. If you look up the word timid, it's defined as showing a lack of courage or confidence, easily frightened. A key to navigating your fear and emotional discomfort or finding comfort with the uncomfortable is utilizing self-compassion. Accepting emotional discomfort as a part of the human condition is the first step towards self-compassion. This allows us to directly challenge the irrational belief that feelings are some form of inadequacy or failure, which drives our avoidance of embracing self and finding an inner peace that we're seeking. In a world where many of us learn to attach self-worth to emotions, this makes acceptance of our vulnerability challenging. Challenging, yes, but not impossible. We are capable of learning something new. The question appears to be, are you willing to do it? We are physical and emotional beings by design. It's simply part of the human condition, and we must accept it to embrace a complete life of meaning and purpose. You're not bad or broken because you feel. You're human. An unwillingness or inability to embrace our emotional self is considered by many as some form of pathology. However, by some other standards in our world, it can be applauded as a form of control, bravado, or success. Perhaps it's neither. Perhaps it's simply ignorance of our design and failure to accept the role emotions have in our life. I personally learned a long time ago that my emotions belong to me. I don't belong to them. Now, I do believe it's important to clarify for you that despite our design to be emotional in nature, we're not meant to allow the emotions to make decisions for us. If you reflect on any number of poor decisions you've made throughout your life, I would imagine that we could link them to an emotional reaction. Perhaps you made an impulsive purchase based on your excitement in a situation, or perhaps you acted out emotionally when angry or and later regretted your actions. Emotions don't make good decisions. However, they are part of the process, but we must learn to embrace them for what they truly are. Information specifically information about self. Some information is important and some information is junk. Grounded in a past of dysfunctional family environments and irrational subconscious beliefs of self. We must learn to unpack our emotional information to effectively navigate our lives and make the changes that we're seeking. This information is often confusing and irrational. It's often attached to some faulty belief about self that drives behavioral patterns in your life today. 
In therapy, we often refer to this as self-sabotaging behaviors. You are aware logically that the decision that you're making could lead to terrible consequences for you, but you feel driven to do it anyway, as if it was automatic in nature. But why? You didn't fall out of the womb this way. Somewhere your experiences in this world during your developmental years, usually between 1 to 20, taught you something about self in this world. These experiences sculpted our perspectives of relationships, family dynamics, love, success, coping, and even survival. Later, these perspectives became internal beliefs. They're often considered subconscious beliefs, so you may not even be aware they exist until they're challenged. The social psychologist Eric Erickson is often credited for his theoretical work in identifying the stages of psychological development throughout the lifespan. Without going through a dissertation on his work, in summary, Erickson believed our personality developed in stages, specifically impacted by what we experienced or learned, and how well we handled these situations. As we aged and moved through the stages, these lessons become more developed, leading to what he referred to as a competency or mastery of each stage. This mastery then leads to the development of our ego strength. Sounds simple, right? Well, what happens when our stages of development are impacted by an unhealthy environment? Addictions, losses, abuse, and a plethora of other dysfunctions. It becomes possible that we develop some unhealthy or irrational beliefs that begin to drive the next stages of our development. Basically, if we handle conflicts or the environment well in a specific stage, we develop a competent ego strength. However, if we handle it poorly, we develop a sense of inadequacy that can attach to our core beliefs of self as we age and develop. Although there are limitations and criticisms about every theory available, Erickson's Stages of Development model does provide us with a broad view, emphasizing the importance of life or environment influences on our developmental mind. The outcome of these stages have a direct influence on our ability to trust, practice hope, identify our purpose, build our confidence, and assist us in finding our place in the world. An understanding of this process is not intended to place blame on what you may have missed or experienced as a child. It's not intended to justify your patterns of irresponsible behavior as an adult. It's meant to increase your awareness and provide you with an opportunity to truly make the changes you're seeking. Perhaps you were denied affection as a child. Perhaps you didn't learn the value of safety in making mistakes, or you were shamed for failure rather than encouraged. This may be the reality. However, it doesn't have to be a life sentence. I often encourage my clients to embrace awareness because it creates a choice. When I'm aware of my limitations and embrace it as a reality, I now have an opportunity and responsibility to self to learn something new. Unfortunately, many people will dismiss their ability to change and they'll make the conscious effort to stay the way they are, claiming it's their lot in life or this is just how I am. They will continue to perpetuate a pattern of self-victimization and likely pass it on to others in their life. Who do you want to be? If you're listening to this, then I can only assume you're searching for something different. If you're attending therapy, investing in self-help and personal development books or workshops, then you're searching for something different. 
Are you truly seeking answers for change, or are you seeking somebody to confirm a pre-existing belief that you have about yourself? Are you looking for somebody to sign off on your negative self-talk and provide you with a justification to stay exactly the same way? Well, then you need to find another podcast, because this isn't it. I am often amazed at how passionately many people will defend their right to stay unhealthy and avoid changes. They will invest thousands of dollars in therapy and workshops only to argue with the therapist or resist recommendations. So why do they do it? Are they incapable of change? No. They're afraid to let go of something that may have served them up to this point. They're afraid of the unknown. They're afraid of the work or the impact on their environment. They're afraid of something different. It happens all too often that we find comfort in chaos. So when things begin to improve in our life and our subconscious beliefs are challenged, we feel a need to right what's perceived as wrong. We will automatically look for a way to mess it up. I often share with people that I have a very unique set of skills developed from my environment as a child. Growing up in my home, it didn't matter if you were right or wrong, it just mattered how loud you were. So as a young adult, I found myself yelling at people close to me, especially when I felt challenged, misunderstood, or afraid. Trust me. Yelling at people doesn't bring them closer to you. It only forces them away, creating a sense of isolation, loneliness, and fear. But it was all right because it matched the internal beliefs and dialogues, allowing me to settle into my self-pity, my shame, and my chaos. Unfortunately, when we identify the issues and learn new skills, the old beliefs don't go away. In times of crisis, it's not uncommon for people to fall back on what they know as an automatic reaction to the crisis. Unless you have something new to fall back on, and unless you're actively practicing these changes, the thoughts of old reactions don't define you, and they surely don't mean that you are a failure at change. It's the action in your life that defines you. It's all right to think it, but it's not all right to do it. It may surprise many people to find out that I wanted to shake the elderly woman in front of me in line at the grocery store because she had more than 10 items in the 10 item or less lane. Of course, I didn't do it. It's a normal human response to have thoughts. It's what your brain does. It thinks. My thoughts don't define me. My actions define me. So I assist her with her groceries or I find another line that's moving faster. The choice is up to me. Active participation in my life for change or passive involvement towards victimization. Well, it seems we've reached the end of our session today. I want to thank each of you for listening, and I encourage you to keep coming back. As you move forward this week, I encourage you to sit with the emotion. Spend time with your fear and discomfort. Don't run for the exit. Pull up a chair and ask yourself, what is there to learn, and how will facing this help me grow? Challenge yourself and change your life. You deserve it. Today, I want to leave you with a couple of quotes. The first is from Nelson Mandela. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Finally, from self-help guru Tony Robbins, focus on where you want to go, not on what you fear. Remember, folks, you're not alone. Live intentionally, love daily, and laugh often. Please subscribe and follow me on whatever format you listen to. Uh, take a moment to leave a review. These matter more than you know, and they allow us to improve or adjust the show as needed. 
Let me know what you think and take a minute to share an episode with a friend or a family member. I really want to get that message out there that you are not alone. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, you can email them directly to Calvin at Calvin C. Williams, LPC.com. Or you can reach me on Facebook at Williams Professional Counseling Services, LLC. You can even check out my website at www.calvincwilliamslpc.com. Or if you'd like to schedule a therapy session with me, contact us at HealthPoint Center at area code 318-998-2700. I always do look forward to hearing from listeners, so please feel free to submit topics of interest, comments, or questions. Thanks again for stopping by, and remember, there's always room for you on the Counselor's Couch.